We're less than two weeks away from the first scheduled launch of Artemis 1, an uncrewed launch which will mark the first step in getting humans back to the moon. So we wanted to do something a little different to mark the occasion. Yes, we're joined by one of NASA's Artemis crew training officers, Tamara York, to find out exactly what they're up to and learn some more about what it's like to train astronauts for spaceflight. Don't forget that you can get in touch with us via our social media pages at Space and Things One on Twitter and at Space and Things Podcast on Instagram and Facebook or via the contact form on our website. And please continue to hit the share button. But right now, enjoy episode 103 of the Space and Things podcast. You're listening to Space and Things with Dave Giles and Emily Carney. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles, and welcome to episode 103 of our podcast. How are you doing, Emily? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Not too bad. I think I'm... No, I'm not. I'm not recovered. No. The finale of For Mankind, once again, destroyed me a little bit. Uh, we yeah. were both texting about it on Friday morning. Having st- I stayed up late on Thursday to watch it. It's pretty epic, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I'm still pretty messed up from it, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I'm ever going to get over it. Oh, my God. It was nice that this season was so completely different from the season before, yet so enjoyable. Uh, that's yeah. my thoughts on it anyway. It also inspired you to write a new article. I've read it. It's great. So please tell everyone about that. Yeah. Well, the article, um, just a heads up, it does have spoilers for the finale, the season finale in it. So if you have not watched the season finale episode, do not read this article yet. The article is basically called The 90s Sucked. And um, everybody was like, oh, you're just trying to get attention with that title. And yeah, I was trying to grab people's attention. But, you know, as somebody who lived through the 90s, that decade was I remember at the time growing up, you know, as a teenager during the 90s, thinking, man, the ni- this is awesome. You know, we have the best music with the clothes are awesome and stuff like that. And that was really it. Seriously, like a lot of bad things happened during the 90s. And It really wasn't as progressive of a time as everybody thought it was, because back then everybody thought they were, I don't know, getting, I guess, a little more open minded. And we really weren't. Nobody was, you know, Mm. there were still, you know, a lot of prejudice against gays. There was still a lot of sexism, racism, etc. I feel like we kind of thought, okay, we've overcome that and that problem solved now. And it really was not. So that's what I tried to capture in the article. And I think for all mankind brilliantly captured that that was really not a fun decade you know and it it sort of even um furthered the theme you know with you know okay we've done all these awesome technological things but we can't get our crap together on earth yeah i'd like to thank ronald d moore and the showrunners because i never really thought about how difficult that decade was until recently because back then i was like yeah i'm partying having fun this is awesome you know and now I look back and I'm like, man, things weren't really weren't that fun back then. <laughs> yeah, know? absolutely. So on something slightly more positive, it's been brought to my attention <laughs> this morning. The European Space Agency have put together a Spotify playlist called Music for the Moon. It's got about 300 songs on there. I'm not really sure why, but it's to do with the Artemis program, but they've decided, obviously, they want to do a playlist. And amazingly, they've included my song, The Last Man on the Moon, oh my which gosh! is pretty cool. Oh, my God. I did yeah. not know this. I had no idea it was going to be a thing, but 
that's how my day started. I'm so proud of you. That's freaking awesome. Yeah, it's nice, isn't awesome it? Awesome news. Yes, it's, it is very nice. Anyway, enough about that and enough about us. Let's get on with this week's interview. Uh, I got pretty excited this morning, Emily, not just because of the playlist thing, but because it was announced that the Artemis One rocket would get rolled out to the launch pad on 16th of August, which is a day earlier than they said, and also means it should be there by the time this podcast is released. And that means we're less than two weeks away from the first launch of this super rocket. After all the talk, after all the tests, we're actually going to see this thing lift up from the pad and do its thing. It's going to be quite something. And I hope that everyone listening has got August 29th penciled in your diary to be able to watch, assuming there are no delays, which of course there probably will be. Yeah, we really wanted to do something to mark this. So we reached out to our contacts at NASA to see if there was someone we could talk to with an interesting perspective on the Artemis program. So today we present you with our interview uh, with Tamara York, who is one of the Artemis crew training officers, which is a pretty awesome job title, if you ask me. Roll the tape, Dave. Absolutely. Okay, we're off to a good start. Play it cool. Hello, Tamara. Thank you so much for joining us on Space and Things. So we're going back to the moon with the Artemis program. What were your thoughts when you heard NASA would train astronauts to go to the moon? I'm very excited, but also uh, is it something I would actually get to see? So actually seeing that it's becoming a, real- a reality, not just in my lifetime, but while I'm actually working here and getting to be a part of it, it's really exciting. Um, I was actually talking with a friend yesterday and I was like, you know, I don't take the time often enough to actually sit and think about what it is we're actually doing. Like we are literally training people to go walk on the moon again. I mean, it gives you goosebumps, right? Um, wow. And for a lot of us, you know, you go in and it's a job and you don't take that time to kind of pinch yourself and realize that not only are you helping America accomplish something again, but you're also helping all these people who have dreamed of being able to walk on the moon and now you're helping them get there. So it's really cool to be a part of helping people accomplish their lifelong dreams as well as just watching our country be able to be a part of this. Absolutely. Now, many of the Artemis astronauts are prior ISS and shuttle astronauts. So what kind of things do they learn from their low Earth orbit experiences that they can perhaps translate to lunar missions? That's a a really great question. Um, So we've got over two decades worth of experience on a a platform doing things that you just can't do here on Earth. And so we have gained knowledge in not just technical systems, how to live. We've got medical research. So we've got systems that, for instance, um, take care of your environmental life support. Right. So we've got test bids for how do we generate oxygen? How do we take carbon dioxide and then pull oxygen from it? Um, How do we sustain safe and potable water systems? Uh, We have research on when we put somebody in a spacesuit, how do we keep them cool? How do we keep them from overheating? We are doing things like DNA sequencing, and we're going to be able to take that and apply that when we're out on the moon and Mars as as they are doing science and research. And how do we identify those organisms? Um, And then you come back to the crew members themselves before we, you know, send them off to the moon and Mars. We want to understand what is this going to do to their bodies? What kind of precautions do we need to have? So we have all of this research on things like how is your vision affected, bone loss, muscle atrophy, what kind of exercises do we need to do? So there's all of this research that not only just talks about how we send a human being out into these environments, but then how do we sustain that life? And then you expand that to how do we put a long-term presence on the moon? So you have to have all of these 
systems in place, you know, things like waste management, right? We have, we, we got to know how we're going to manage just daily life. And so that is the beauty of ISS is this has been our test bed to test those technologies as well as look at how we need to protect our crew members and keep them safe and bring them home to their families. All right. Excellent. So with so many unknowns with the Artemis program, for example, you know, the suits still need to be worked out. Um, what scenarios and things are you training for now? So we are actually right in the throes of actually developing all of that training. It's a complex mission. It's not just one vehicle. Um, when you look at it, you know, we've got the Orion that's going to get the crew member there. As you mentioned, there's EVA suits, which is its own little vehicle. Um, and then you have, of course, your lander. So we are working across all of those different aspects of a, a moon mission and developing the training. We are going through and, and sitting down and, and literally you think about it, a day or an activity. What is it we have to teach the crew members to do? So we go in and do these training analysis. So what we're doing right now is taking a look at everything crew members have to do and figuring out what do they need to be trained to do and how do we do that? And so we're in the process of developing it. So there are things like how are we going to teach them to walk on the moon? Um, and, and those are, are suit independent, right? So, so a suit is a piece of it, but you literally just have to figure out how do you do that? Where do you do that on Earth? So a lot of the focus coming into these years and into actually bringing commercial partners on board has been just how do you accomplish that training? So where, where are there places on Earth? So we've had research being done. We've had teams that have gone off and looked at remote locations, locations within the U.S. and just how do you find the equivalent landscapes, the similar dirt that you're going to be digging in and taking samples of? And that's the kind of work that we have been doing leading into this time where we're actually ready to partner with these commercial partners. And then we share this information with them and, and together jointly help accomplish this mission and, and do this training. There's so much to think about. <laughs> we, we've had some questions from some of our Patreon subscribers. Toby Jeffries has asked, what have you learned or brought forward from the Apollo program training? Do the astronauts still have specific areas of interest like the Apollo ones did? And has there been any interest or involvement from any of the remaining Apollo astronauts to perhaps offer a, a word? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we have definitely picked their brains um, as they've made themselves available um, any chance we get, we have talked with them. We have read uh, one of the first things you do when you start working is you go back and you read all of the old reports and all of the crew briefings um, so that you can understand their perspective and what did we learn. Um, some of the ways that we are implementing that is looking at how we do the science training and how we do the lunar sortie training. And that's an area where we are taking what they have shared with us and implemented it to make sure that we are looking for those places on Earth, not just in the continental US, but where else on earth should we be going and looking at what technologies do we have that we didn't have back then, right? We've got all these wonderful things like augmented reality and VR and what kind of things can we actually do that we didn't have back then that could fulfill some of these, uh, we call them lessons learned from these missions. You know, how, how do we take those and then apply today's technologies? Um, so we absolutely are taking into account and talking with those guys about what what could we have done differently? What do they wish they could have had? Um, how do we improve? Awesome. So obviously we aren't living in Apollo times. You know, the Apollo astronauts were all white guys. While Artemis is endeavoring to put a more diverse pool of astronauts on the Earth's surface. Uh, we, you know, for example, the program has people of color, the program has women, et cetera, et cetera. 
So what do you envision happening on the moon in, you know, 10, 15, 20 years or so? Great question. Um, absolutely. Our astronaut corps are, are much more diverse now. And, and as you've mentioned, um, we are going to represent America and the world by putting the first woman and person of color on the moon with these first missions. You know, over the next 10 years, we're going to have flown several Artemis missions to the moon. Um, we'll have, have had seven, several ventures out there. In that 10 years, we're also going to be building the Gateway um, Space Station which is going to be our platform that then leads us over into Mars in the next 15 to 20 years. So all of that is just going to carry forward and we expect all of that to, to continue. We expect to represent not just America, but the entire world with these um, programs and these assets. Yeah, I hadn't, hadn't thought about that side of it as well. It's obviously a, a much bigger thing, isn't it, with the with the Artemis Accords and all the other countries getting involved. And uh, we've got another question from one of our patrons. Daniel Gillis has asked, what do you think about analog astronaut simulations as training tools. For example, what are your thoughts on the work done by volunteer crews at the Mars Society at the Mars Desert Research Station in Utah, for example? Is that something you're going to be using going forward? Um, I'll be honest, I'm not familiar with that particular um, research area, but I can tell you that we do take advantage of, of our analog test beds. We do have some that run here at, at NASA. You've probably seen the the recent HERA test that took place. So we do use those type of test beds and we are currently using some of those and we do take that data into account and compile it and bring it in along with the other stuff that we talked about with the, the newer technologies. But that is still something that we learn a lot from and is a great test bed for, for these missions and, and testing out things. What do you think is the biggest challenge in getting ready for Artemis? Oh, goodness. You know, I, I think it is balancing all the balls, right? Making sure that you have thought of everything and you don't know what you don't know. And so I think the biggest challenge is getting enough different perspectives pulled together and working together so that we are asking all of those questions. Some of the, the greatest things we get are, you know, a lot of us have been around and we're shuttling ISS and as we bring on folks that are coming, you know, fresh out of college and they start asking us questions, right? And we start working with them and, and uh, pulling in just this much broader viewpoints and different backgrounds together. It's, we get to have these new ideas and asking those questions. And to me, I think the biggest challenge is trying to think of everything that could possibly happen, everything that we possibly need to account for. Um, and so I think that is our biggest challenge of making sure that we are just asking all those questions and thinking of all those things and just making sure that we handle and equip our crews. And, and we do this with ISS also, but even more so with, you know, it's not instantaneous communication, right? You know, there's those calm delays. And so making sure that we have thought of enough things to equip and provide enough tools and skills to our crew members for the things we don't know about. Awesome. Uh, obviously, we've focused on the moon a lot today, but are you also thinking about Mars as well? I know all, all the media stuff is saying the moon, moon and beyond and Mars and so on and so forth. Is that something that's all in your head within the, the training offices as well? Yeah, so we are. Um, we do have folks that are plugged into all of the, the future programs with NASA. Of course, our focus is still maintaining ISS 
Um, it's a platform that's still on board and still we're still using it. It's still providing research. It's still our test bed. And then, of course, we go into to the moon. So that is our our main new focus. But yes, we are we have folks who are looking at how are we going to then make the leap from the moon to Mars and all of these test beds build on each other. And so it's real important to have some of that continuity so that you can take what you're learning and move it forward, because you obviously don't want to wait until you're done with the moon before you start thinking about Mars. You want to be working all of these things in parallel um, so that they all build on each other. Awesome. Okay. And finally, um, so how does one become an astronaut training officer? That seems like a really cool job. Uh, it is. It's it's pretty easy to get up and go to work. I, I won't lie. <laughs> um, so uh, my background is I'm actually a, a civil engineer with a structural bench by training. Um, I actually started in the oil industry. Um, so that's where I cut my teeth as an engineer uh, designing um, pipe farms and things like that. I was one of those who always wanted to be an astronaut, um, always wanted to be in space, was fascinated by it. And through a, a series of events, I ended up getting an opportunity to work on the shuttle cockpit redesign. And then that opened the door for me to actually come on um, within the safety organization. So I spent quite a bit of time working in uh, the safety organization here at NASA. And from there, I got the opportunity to actually go um, work in an area I'm very passionate about, which was spacewalk. Um, so I was a, a spacewalk officer for a very long time with shuttle and ISS and then I love training. One of the best moments I have ever had is watching a crew member accomplish something on board ISS that we spent a very long time training them to do down here on Earth and just seeing them land and you get that thumbs up across the crowd of like, we did it, you know, we went up there, we, you know, we made it happen. So for me, training was my passion. And so when an opportunity came up, I moved over into that group. And that's where, for me, I've gotten, I've probably stayed the longest. Um, I just love it. I've had a lot of great opportunities to work um, both International Space Station and, of course, as we've been talking with the Artemis programs and these developmental programs. So it's, um, it's we do have different backgrounds. Not everybody's an engineer. So we've got folks that um, have, have uh, different technical backgrounds. Uh, we've got folks that specialize in simulations. Um, when I was in the spacewalk group, we had folks that came from education. Um, so it's just kind of a lot of, there's been a lot of different paths as you talk to people that work in this industry. There's a lot of different paths that lead you here. We've got, uh, actually we have one person um, who just became a chief training officer that actually comes from a medical background. She is one of our biomedical engineers who used to do um, the biomedical training for the, the astronauts um, who has recently come over. So it's, we're a pretty vast group. We have a very diverse background, um, which probably is our strength. I know Emily said, and finally there, your answer has triggered a, another question, so forgive me here. In the past, we've interviewed some retired astronauts. For example, Nicole Stott, who worked at NASA and then became an astronaut, and, and Clayton Anderson also was working at NASA and then became an astronaut. You said that you had dreams of becoming an astronaut. Is it still something you'd like to do now you've been on the inside? Is it still something you think of applying for? Maybe you have and don't want to talk about it, but uh, is that something you'd like to do as you're training people? Do you still get that bug of oh, maybe one day I'll get to have a go? Uh, for me personally, unfortunately, it's not an option. But if I could, I would absolutely do it. Life sometimes gives you curveballs. Yeah. But oh, absolutely. You know, it is one of the best parts of my job is I do get to work very closely with the astronauts. And a lot of it's some of the best days are just when you get to sit and hear the stories. You know, what what is it really like, you know, to live on station or 
you know, getting to watch them as they're going through their training flow. And, and um, I have had the privilege to actually train crew members and, and have had a couple of crews that I have trained and then gotten the chance to actually support as they're executing the mission on board station. So, um, yeah, oh, in an instant, I would. But uh, since I can't, I get to do the next best thing, which is help other people accomplish their dreams. Yeah, absolutely. My my next best thing was doing the podcast. So, you know, I, <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Tamara. This has been really wonderful and really insightful as well. Uh, we wish you all the best in what you're doing. And uh, and are, are you heading over to watch the launch for Artemis 1? Do you get to do that or is uh, is that not something that you get to do? Um, I will be watching it from JSC, but we do have uh, the gentleman that actually was the trainer for that launch. Uh, even though it doesn't have a crew, we have a chief training officer that actually uh, trained the flight control team and managed all that training. And we're hoping to get to send him um, actually to be able to go look at that and have that opportunity. Um, but I'll be watching it with all the rest of the NASA folks in a big auditorium over at JSC. Yeah, and us <laughs> as well, but not at JSC. Anyway, thank you so much. <laughs> thank uh, you so much. We hope to speak to you again sometime. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Y'all have a great afternoon. This operation is somewhat like the periscope of a submarine. All you see is the three of us. But beneath the surface are thousands and thousands of others. To all those, I would like to say thank you very much. That was amazing. That was awesome. Imagine that being your job. That to me, I, I, I fantasize about going to space, but you know, I don't know if I'll ever go, but that must be like right below like astronaut, like the next yeah. thing. Because you get to be, you get to train people in that sort of environment. Be around the people that are doing it, right? Being around these guys who are learning how to do it or and hearing their stories when they get back as well. Yeah, and you're contributing. I mean, to me, it's just as important that you're contributing to the program. Yes. I love astronauts, but I go into sort of astronaut worship. But you almost forget. It's like when you look at every program, there's thousands of people behind this one person who's going to space who have trained this person. I mean, we're talking from teachers to trainers, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So, you know, I feel like we really lose sort of touch with, you know, okay, what about the people that train these people to do what they're going to do? Because they just don't go in automatically knowing how to be how to be an astronaut. That's a skill you learn, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's born with that. So obviously yeah, we're all building up to this launch as well, which I'm really excited about and I can't yes. wait. And I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot about it over the next yeah. few weeks. I am hoping to go see it. I, I don't think I don't know if I'll be there in, in any kind of press capacity because uh, obviously I, I have a day job, but um, I, I'm hoping to sneak over there and see it. So we'll 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 see. I'll be watching on the live stream, I'm sure. <laughs> Dropping everything. Yeah. I'll be watching hopefully from a bridge near the area with my fingers crossed, hoping it'll, it goes well. So we'll see. That's your trick, is it? Find a bridge. Find a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> There's some good ones in Titusville, so we'll we'll see. Yeah. Massive bridges. Some massive bridges. You're absolutely right. There's some <laughs> big-ass bridges in that area. I imagine it'll be very busy. Anyway, that, what a great interview that was. Let's crack on with the rest of the show. We start this week's news section with some sad news. Cosmonaut Anatoly Filipchenko has died aged 94. He was the commander of Soyuz 7 in 1969 and Soyuz 16 in 1974. He has logged a total of 
10 days, and 21 hours in space. Both of those missions have a special place in history. In October 1969, Soyuz 7 was due to dock with Soyuz 8, which was being photographed by the crew of Soyuz 6. All three missions in space at once, but unfortunately problems with the docking equipment stopped that from being totally successful, which was one of the final nails in the coffin for the USSR's plan to get to the moon. His second mission was not about beating America, but joining them. Soyuz 16 was a dress rehearsal flight for the Apollo-Soyuz docking mission in which they checked out the androgynous docking system, which was needed for the two countries to dock together in space. So, unfortunately, another space pioneer has left us. Our condolences go out to his relatives and friends. Absolutely. So it's been another busy week. There have been five launches since we last recorded. Two in China, one in Kazakhstan, one in California, and one in Florida. Once again, you can find out all about these launches, their payloads, and watch videos if they exist by visiting the show notes, which you can find on spaceandthingspodcast.com or by checking the link within your podcast provider below this episode. While we spent today focused on the Artemis 1 rocket in Texas... SpaceX are gearing up for the first orbital launch attempt of their Starship Super Heavy rocket. Uh, they've been performing some static engine fire tests on the launch pad, although the company does not yet have a launch license from the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration. This license is expected soon, though, and the company has applied and received their radio licenses for the test vehicle from the U.S. Federal Communications Commission. If this license is to be believed, then SpaceX are targeting a six-month launch window starting on September 1st. Six months may seem like a long time, but hopefully they'll get their license and soon we'll get to witness another big rocket's first launch. Unlike the Artemis program, this rocket is planned on being completely reusable, which would be a game-changer in financial terms for future launches of large items. Meanwhile, Northrop Grumman have announced that they will use engines from Firefly Aerospace for their Antares rocket. This removes the dependency on Ukraine and Russia for components for that rocket, which NASA used to fly the Cygnus cargo ship missions to the International Space Station. And finally, we take our hats off to Etienne Klein, the director of France's Alternative Energies and Atomic Energy Commission, who pulled off an incredible prank on Twitter. He tweeted a photo of a round reddish-orange object on a black background with the following caption. Photo of Proxima Centauri, the closest star to the sun, located 4.2 light years from us. She was taken by the JWST. This level of detail, a new world is revealed day after day. This tweet went viral, and then the scientists had to tweet that the image was not actually taken by the web. But, <laughs> oh my god but was, in fact, just a slice of chorizo sausage. Incredible work, which we applaud. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, if you see the image, it's crazy to think that people believe this was actually something that was a star. It's it looks clearly, like a piece of sausage. Yeah, clearly it's a piece of sausage. Yeah, I saw it and I was like, wow, that's a piece of like pepperoni or something like that. <laughs> I honestly was like, that is not a star or a planet. At all. Great prank. Yeah, that's marvelous. I, I applaud his fine work. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, I've never put a flag up in the boat before. What? Pull that in. That's it for this week. Thanks again for joining us. And thanks again to those who continue to support us on Patreon. You guys are really making a huge difference to Emily and myself. And we appreciate you a hell of a lot. Yes. And thank you to all who continue to share the podcast with their friends. It really does mean a hell of a lot. 
We'll be back next week, but in the meantime, don't forget that in space, no one can hear you mean. Space and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions.